0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: What's happening, everybody, and welcome back after a long, hey, it's far too long for our liking, but you know, technicals, this, that, and the other, all sorts of reasons. We are back, courts have fracker, back for the new season, and in a nice way, the season's already started and we already have so much to get straight into, so... This is your place for all things NBA from a UK-based perspective. Welcome to Courtside Fraka. I'm here with Canyon. Just me and you this week, bro. Let's get into it. How you doing, bro?
0: We back, we back. Back like number 45, Jordan. It's good to be back, man. You know, I've been keeping the Hopefully whole Hopefully a bit myself, better but... than number
1: 45. Hopefully a bit better than number 45. Yeah. Yeah, like maybe the be, first few games. The you know. first
0: few games were a bit rusty, but we'll be back with a bang in no time.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe back like Jordan after, you know... The minor leagues um right straight away anyone who's been keeping an eye on our twitter sees that we have started uh, a little countdown courtside countdown we have gone through we've we've asked panelists uh, friends of the pod everything like that and we, we we just we did it last year caused a lot of good discussion um some hate as well which we love as well we love it uh and we just go through the best best players in the league and we we get Panelists, friends of the pod, give us their top twenty fives, and we and we we it. That started today, um, with Chris Middleton. Shout out Abdi. Shout out Chris after his chip. The Somalian sniper.
0: Chip.
1: The Somali sniper. He's at a listen. So listen, like, full disclosure, you know, public, personal, whatever. I am married into a Somali family in it, so. I this Somali joke about Chris. This is is something I told. I showed my missus Chris Miller, and she goes, "Listen, he could look like my cousin." And the funniest thing is, if you go, this guy is his name is Chris Middleton <laughs> and he's a devout Christian, and he's American, and all that. If you go and watch the Milwaukee celebrations on the court after they won the chip, there's like three Somali brothers just there chilling. On a...
0: Could be a Somali from <laughs> Northwest. He could be.
1: I don't know he who could they're be. there with. If it's not Chris, but a shout out, Chris. Listen, uh, marksman especially against the Celtics, he's been killing us for years, Um, constantly, constantly derided. So I think he's, especially after that chip, you know, he's earned that place in our rankings, number 25. But almost more interesting to me, and I want to get your thoughts on this, K. early days, is the people that didn't make the 25. So this is always a little bone of contention. Who we got? Who we got? So if, we you got? Look, if you look at our uh, 26 to 34, okay? Now how this has worked is because anyone who listens is going to come at us. I know they are when their favourite isn't where they want them to be. Last year, we got hounded for the Steph stuff, but you know, Steph had been, had an out year and stuff like that. Um How it's worked is we go through all the panelists, we go through a couple friends of the point and we get the 25 and then we reverse score it. So if you finish first, you get 25 points, you finish 25th, you get a point and it all sort of correlates into uh, a final ranking and stuff. So no one get us. It's democracy, and sometimes democracy is overrated, you know? Unless you're Ennis of Freedom, then you're a big fan of it. But hey, uh, <laughs> we got to get into that one. <laughs> you got to get 26. that one in there. Yeah, 26 to 34, in no particular order, right? And I just want you to talk to me about who, who jumps out that could feel hard done by about not being in the 25, and maybe why you don't think they're in the 25. So we've got Bam Adebayo. We've got Jalen yeah. Brown. We've yeah. got Jamal Murray, okay, you know, he's out and stuff. Yeah. We've got Rudy yeah. Gobert, What four-time DP of the year. Yeah. Rudy Gobert, 25. Nah, I'm all right, I'm all right. Okay, all right. Uh, Brandon Ingram. For those who know, my, my brand of
0: ball is sexy stuff only, so defence isn't sexy to me. As much as I admonish a new school for not playing it, I can't put him up there, man.
1: Okay, style over substance, drip over defense. I get that.
0: Lamelo Ball,
1: there you go. That's right up your street. Twenty six to thirty four, nah. meteoric rise yeah, for Lamelo.
0: Yeah, I am not a madman.
1: Julius Randle, who is going to be the subject of some of what we talk about uh, when we get into last night's New York Derby. Uh, certain Australian international, Benjamin Simmons. Interesting one. Interesting one. Probably the most divisive player in the league after after last year's playoffs. Yeah, ja Morant. Well, we know why he's not now, in there Now, Ja Morant John ja, ja Morant is someone who I think Could have been a real sleeper entry Into the 25 But he's done well to even get into the 34 um, Brandon Ingram I've mentioned And then lastly And this is one I think This is one that might cause a bit of discussion Because I can't remember where you stand on him I know where I stand on him I was on the campaign to, for him to be an all-star Last year in San Antonio DeMar DeRozan How hard done by Should he be To not be in the top 25 In the league Let's consider that We've got to speak with this Knowing that he's in the best form Of his career arguably And he's in everyone's eye line Because he's in Chicago A massive market As opposed to San Antonio And Toronto So with that With that caveat That he's in Maybe the form And the market of his life DeMar not top 25 Or DeMar top, 20, top 25 Where do you stand And where do you stand On DeMar in general?
0: Firstly, I've got to give a big shout out to the guy formerly known as DeMar DeFrozen. Because when it came to the big moments, he was nowhere to be seen. But yeah, I think he had a great time at San Antonio. And like you said, it's not a big market. So no one's really checking for him down there anyway. But he did contribute very well. Did feel hard done by for him to be snubbed at all-star level. Because those are obviously the, the best uh, 30-odd players of our, of our league. But I And he had an outstanding season last year. He did, he did, he did. But I wouldn't say he would feel particularly hard done by to be done at the top 25. If it was a 25 to 30, I'll hear it. But top 25, I think you got. You really got to do some things to be up there, and that that includes Jamal Morant as well. Like even I think DeMar the mm. better, yeah, than Morant. But of course, Morant is the young and sexy new star. Like people always want to jump on the yes, bandwagon, yes, yes. and people always, like yes. you said, want to project stuff onto players before they what they are. But yeah, DeMar. I feel bad for him, of course, particularly for the All Star stub. But yeah, top twenty five. I think he would just miss out on that for me, anyway. What about you?
1: I think I th- I think I'm I'm with you. Yeah, I think um, I think your point about you got to do something. Like Middleton would not have been in there without the chip. So, you know that's put him in everyone's eye line. You have to. It's NBA more than everything else. I I mean there's right. It's right and it's wrong. I'm not 100% on it all the time. But but it's it's yeah, and it's very much like okay, but he's they they're comparable. They're similar. That I might be able to do a little bit more, but this guy's got the chip, so we're going to put him higher. So, yeah, whatever. Um, I, think, closer. I think, yeah, yeah, for real. Um, I think one thing about DeMar not being top 25 is I think we can gather, spoiler alert, that because Zach Levine has not been mentioned in the 26 to 34, it's reasonable to assume that Zach Levine is going to finish in our top 25. And I think this year in, in Chicago... To uh, he could have been in the thirty-four to fifty, but I'd be quite surprised. Hey. I think this year in Chicago has kind of shown that the difference between those two, in particular, is it. It kind of shines a spotlight on the. It doesn't mean that Zach's getting too much love, but is they're quite hard to separate as players, and there would be. I'm sure that the city of Chicago would be quite split on who's even having the better year, who's their best player out of those two. Um, I get why Zach is higher in kind of aggregated ratings and, and people's. Affections, you I guess, shoot. in terms of like you just said, like he can, I mean, the three ball is a big one, and shoot. like you said, that's like, a big factor. He, he's he's like Jar as well in that he's younger, oh. he's more dynamic, he's more exciting. But the three ball, yeah, three level scorer hey. as opposed to Demar, who's yeah. who's just introducing the three into his game.
0: End of a the little day, bit yeah, they're now. both hitting like what? Who cares? Yeah, what? End of the day, they're both giving us twenty five a game. I think they're both shooting game. very similar. Both very similar in the sense, both like 46% from the field, so very efficient, so they're not taken away from each other's game, I think there's like a 4% difference in their free throw percentage so again, good free throw shooters and the only disparity for me, like you all know is one, their defence and two, Zach is a much better three point shooter, but in reality, like you said they ain't much to pick between them, but like you said the, the league wants that new, shiny, sexy star, and Levine kind of fits that considering he was there at Chicago first and DeMar's come in to somewhat complement that yeah, and as much as
1: I love Demar's Devo- De sort of turnaround fadeaways inside that long two game, uh, if anyone's sitting on YouTube and searching up a mixtape of the two of them, I know that they're gonna defer it over to Zach. So let's ju- let's talk a bit wider on on Chicago. I think because it's it's not just one that we both have talked about privately a lot and that has grabbed a lot of attention, but the spotlight has been on from the off season massive acquisitions in terms of giving Lonzo ball a good whack of money plus 20 million a year um that signing i think that is under some tampering investigations because it was announced at 6 seconds past yeah. you know the the um, the thing the um the what's it called not the the bit being lifted where you can't say anything i don't know the blackout whatever it is yeah they're, um, I think so lonzo big acquisition
0: second round picks
1: has that been ruled yet or is it still? Yeah, I believe that's been ruled. The, I believe the that's region. actually been ruled okay. now. They both got a real so that's that's well, take go. for
0: you there. They've got to relinquish really their second round picks. So there we go. And Lowry both Miami was and Chicago, was like eight minutes ago. Yeah,
1: Chicago's opponents on uh, the weekend. So there we go. <laughs> Good timing. So I knew that was on the investigation. Um, so some tampering there. Like, they're the only ones in the league to do it. Lonzo, big acquisition. Alex Caruso, very, very underrated acquisition. Vuc, Nikola Vucevic, obviously, at the trade deadline last season, huge acquisition, and everyone saw that as a very win-now pivot for Chicago. Um, Obviously, DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan's been given a lot of money, 26, 28 million a year average over the next three years. Uh, Raised some eyebrows, and it caused some questions about how, especially you mentioned the defense. How Zach and Demar are going to coexist on the court? So far, it's all been swimming, and they've looked really good. Um, defensive re- rating has been okay; has been it's been pretty high, especially in the East. I think it's been offset a little bit. Any any limits that Zach and Demar do have in that Zach is very willing. Demar isn't a good defender, but he's six six and quite athletic. He's not Kemba. You get me? Just so, put your <laughs> arms up. Just we're going to have put to your arms up, bro. Who we're gonna have? There we go. Who we're gonna to have to talk on Kemba a little bit in a bit. Um, Zach Zach is willing, even if not more talent. You see Zach in the restricted area; he's trying to affect things. He you've got bit, Lonzo Ball. Yeah. You've got Lonzo Ball, outstanding perimeter and inside defender, 6'6", strong, quick, and you've got Alex Caruso, who is, uh, well, you, I know you as a Laker fan, potentially underrated him slightly um, in in the bright slightly is an of understatement. I, now I,
0: I'm, I'm, big, I'm majorly underestimating him, but it's okay. You yeah, know and, you don't miss those and, things to He's
1: having a <laughs> don't know what you got to go on word to Janet Jackson. Alex Caruso having a great year. Patrick Williams was having a good start to the year before his injury. He's another one who who defensively he can just he can just tolerate it. But let's look at that kind of big three for Chicago. Um Chicago as a as a group are rolling. They are one hundred percent a contender in the East, if that was instilling any doubt. In terms of the NBA, Chicago are fifth in net rating. Um, their offense is funnily enough. Uh, their offensive rating, they're actually lower placed in their defensive rating. Their defense is 8th and their offense is 10th. Um, but 5th in net rating in the NBA, a, a smidgen behind Miami, who you would argue are a much more set in their ways and experienced team. So for them to be just ahead of Brooklyn in the net ratings, just behind Miami, and then the only people ahead of that being Utah, Golden State and Phoenix, who we know are just regular Best season at this point. Best teams in the league, in especially regular season, they're just rolling, consistent, everything like that. We're talking about a Chicago Bulls team that in the net ratings are ahead of Brooklyn, ahead of Milwaukee, um, ahead of the Clippers and and looking it. They're looking the part. They've taken part in some big games. Um how do you see the big three's performance so far? So we're talking DeMar, we're talking Nikola Vucevic, and we are talking Zach Levine. How have they been performing? What were your expectations?
0: Um and
1: what what questions do you still
0: have about Chicago? So, let's start with the worst, because let's just get out of the way. I'd, I would hate to be that guy, but let's start with the soft serve himself, uh, Vooch. So, when he came in, I think end of last year, had a nice little stead. Looks quite decent with Zach. It was just the two of them, of course. And we knew Chicago were kind of building something. We didn't know exactly what, to the heights there are now, which is obviously second in the East after a quarter of the season. But we didn't exactly know that maybe he would be the third option coming into this year. So, now we've got, obviously, Zach, Demar, and Vooch and I think it's quite clear to see now why not disparaging the type of player that he is he doesn't very much fit what they're trying to get going on so he's very much uh not the biggest of of centers in the sense that he doesn't want to play big in that sense he likes to stretch out to the three at times and currently I think he's shooting his worst percentage of his career so far and along with that in the way they play it's just that his game isn't suited to supplementary touches here and there when you've got two ball do- ball-dominant wings like Demar and Zach. So, for me, I think Vooch isn't going to be a good fit for what they really want to do. And the best fit for a team like Chicago that obviously wants to run and have got two fast-paced wings like that is have a rim-running center like Patrick Williams. Unfortunately, he's injured. So, someone who does a job rim-to-rim rim and defensively as well. Who and um, well, Patrick? Enough, Patrick's
1: Vooch. athletic. He's he's more he's more a wing like a, a stopper than than rim running. But I guess he's got the athleticism to get around there. There you go. I think, but uh, I don't think Vooch does. Funnily enough, Derek, jo- Derek Jones Jr. has been the small ball five. The guy, that kind of yeah. He's he's my shout for little small ball five. Like he he's been really really big threat to the rim as we know from his time in Miami. He's a he's a dunk master and everything like that. But also like, funnily enough defensively and this is where my concern is with Vooch in the playoffs and stuff because like you say um I mean it sounds silly because we're talking the day or two after Vooch has just hit six of six threes and gone off for his biggest night of his season against Charlotte from Chicago but but I mean we're not gonna let that performance sort of for me anyway um overtake the the kind of the 19 before it and the 19 before it Especially against Miami, what I saw was Derrick Jones Jr., a random wing, playing playing basically the five when Vooch was out. Um, yep. He was giving Bam more problems inside in terms of scoring than Vooch was. As soon as Vooch was in the game, um, you could see Miami were going straight at him, whether it be uh, Lowry or or Jimmy driving to get to the line or, or Bam um just trying to drive as well and getting getting just free throws. Vooch is leaving. Because the thing with Vooch as well defensively is he's not actually positionally too bad. Like it's not like he's lost. He's not Chris Stapps or flipping of course. uh Davis Bertans, where he's like a pure sniper and nothing else. Like Vooch can do his thing, but it's just his ability to defend. Like he's a bit slow with the SWATs, he's 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 not um skilled he's in the exactly He's not exactly a deterrent, basically. He's just there. This is it. And and I think he he he's his best defense kind of looks like for me. Like low block, arms up, you can keep them in that corner, I and mean, he's not too tested. I not guess. the fastest uh, on
0: rotations, but yeah, he's just kind of the big body that's yeah, there. And, and you'd I think, hope someone I hits that, him and that he puts some off.
1: But I think, like you said, he's shooting kind of the worst for his career. I think the big thing for me with his shooting is if you look at his usage, and you know, I like my numbers and my advanced. I'm, I'm stats there with the numbers today, like that, man. The, the necessary. We're getting there. I think I'm converting you very slowly, but we're getting there. I think Vooch at Orlando. You got to remember. What he was, like he had good players he around him. He option. had Gordon, you know, he had Terrence Ross and and but he was the number one option. He was their match guy, their go-to guy, especially for his last like two, two and a half years in Orlando. I'm not saying he was heliocentric to where everything ran around him, like a solar system to a Doncic or a uh uh Harden at Houston level. It weren't that, but his usage was higher. His usage was a star's usage. He was getting touches, he was getting shots, he was he, the ball was running through him. Now he is essentially. The fourth option in Chicago, right? You're going to DeMar. Yeah. You're going to Zach, and arguably, when those two haven't got it going, the next thing they kind of look for is to find Lonzo in the corner or Lonzo on the weak side for a, for a kick out because Lonzo, in terms of catch and shoot, he's money, money is, now, baby. Money. It's money now. Money. I don't know what. I don't know who he has been talking to but if Marcus Smart and Jason Tatum could give them a ring if Tatum wants to just leave Hanlon for a couple you know we'll get to Boston bro sessions. we'll get to Boston we'll get to we'll get to Boston in another day because we ain't even got time for me to moan about them all day but anyway um yeah that's my, that's almost my concern with Vooch more more is that it depends entirely on whether he can be as useful being a third or a fourth guy um because he's not bringing it up Lonzo DeMar and Zaka bringing it up even Caruso's bringing it up he's not he's not exactly like got the ball in his hands at the top like a Jokic so he's really kind of trying to find his role and i guess how good they are offensively is is a how well he can do that but also defensively it's just yeah it's just a concern because as soon as they come up against an Embiid in a in a post situation in the in the east it's going to be a big big problem they've lost both their games to Philly so far yeah. this season um if they come up and against a the to it's going to be a, it's, it's be a huge, huge problem.
0: Yeah, it's very tricky. And just a and, quick one as well East for is, those the, who listen, want to As win.
1: a Boston fan, just 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 before you say that, just as a Boston fan, I know that the M.O. of the East, essentially, because they can mess with Miami. We kind of saw that the other night. Yeah. The M.O. of the East to get out is, can you stop Giannis? Can you stop Embiid? Um, Basically. Boston have had a lot more success against Embiid than they have Giannis. Um, but even Giannis, you know, they, we kind of ward him off. So... so Really, to get out of the East, especially Yanis now, because I mean the treatment table might help you with Embiid, but can you stop Yanis to get out of the East? If the answer is no, then you're finished. Then what are you pushing all these chips into the middle for? For Vooch and for uh, Levine, who's out of contract this summer, so he's going to be getting the bag thrown at him and DeRozan as well. So yeah, anyway. But yeah, just for those who don't know,
0: obviously any new listeners with me have that jumped on the pod, the usage rate in particular is like the estimate of like the percentage of plays that run through a player when they're on the court. So while Vooch was at Orlando, I believe the average was between like 25 and 28% and for those who aren't aware, yeah, especially, the but especially his of the last two 30s. years it was
1: like it was like, it was like 29 last two years like 28 yeah. 29 like every game was his game.
0: So yeah, and and you would think for the bigger stars in the league not saying Vooch is that they normally reside between the 28 to like 35% mark. So 35% being an anomaly, but yeah, they kind of reside between that. So now he's dropped down to like 22. And 22 doesn't sound like a massive drop from 28. But what people also need to realise is that comes with, obviously, within the flow of an offence and the flow of a game. It's not a case of, OK, you had 25% of the ball, now it's 22. Do what you do anyway. It, it works within the flow this of the is, game this, and such. This
1: is, this is yeah, also a good way to look at numbers for people. When you see stuff like that, you, you look at 28, 29, and you look at 22, and you think, that's nothing, that's, six. that's 6%. that's six But then you've got to think, think of it from the perspective of the player. Let's say I'm Vooch. I'm only looking at my touches. So that 29 to us on a stat sheet to Vooch is a hundred. That is every time he gets yep. involved, gets a shot off, gets a turnover, forces a turnover, gets a gets a touch of the ball. Um, you know, that's that's a hundred percent to him. So while it's only six out of 29, 28 for us, that's that's a quarter of his involvement in that's the game. Less so. And also even towards the end of last season, Vooch looked better because they were running a lot. I mean, it was small sample because COVID wrecked it a little bit. Um, but Zach and him was a pick and pop kind of thing. Now you got Demar. DeMar if you don't have it. the ball in Demar's hands, if you don't have the ball in Demar's hands, Demar's a waste of time because he's not going to spot up and shoot. Um, He's not like a killer from free like that, even if he does take them, which is rare. So Demar needs the ball in his hands. So then you're, you're talking about Vooch yeah. being a spot up guy. Again, that's not really what he's ever done. He's still good inside. Like he's still, listen, low post, he's still good, but it's a big role shift for him. And, and while it's easy to kind of, you know, I, I just yeah. don't know about the fit, especially when you say... Um, like kind of things they want to do, they look comfortable when they're small. They, when they have that lineup of kind of like Lonzo, Caruso, um, Zach, uh, Derek Jones Jr., and DeMar out there, or whoever the five is, they look unreal, they look yeah. scary. They're so quick, they move the ball, they can all handle to different degrees. You've got Rim Runner in terms of DJJ, like he's sick, he's sick. So, and listen, of course, Chicago as well like we're definitely Levine gonna and DeRozan.
0: Um, come on, man.
1: Yeah, yeah, there we go, there we go. So Chicago is something we're definitely going to watch. We're we're going to stick in the East before heading out west because looking looking at the looking at the NBA at the moment, what I'm loving about it is the competitiveness of the league. We got a really good um, question from someone recently about kind of like uh, why 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 shots aren't falling like they were. Like Lillard and Tatum struggled early on, um, and the defense has changed. Like no one can tell me if they're watching the games. That it looks the exact same, it just doesn't. Even, even, um, last night, for example, the, that that Brooklyn, uh, New York game, that Knicks' Nets game was such a good watch and it was played at such a pace. But if you watched it, there were so many opportunities where last season or the season before, officials just could have interrupted and just ruined it. Very stop, people like Trey, that. yeah, and people like Trey and, and Jimbo. Obviously, it caused a lot of discourse online where people were like, oh, but now Harden's just getting fouled and not getting given it. And look, officials need their acclimatization as well. Um, but it, you can see that those players just aren't even looking for that now. Like, they're not looking to foul bait because they know whether it's the coaches have told them, whether it's the officials have told them pre game, whether it's just they know from the media that Spotlight's going to be on them and the memes and that. They're not looking for those shit little fouls that just kill a game now. So, so. I love the league right now. Um not it's, only it's in terms a, it's of a weird the pace though. of the game. It's a
0: proper weird one.
1: How's it weird? How's it weird? Because I'm not no, I'm not was, condoning was, like the nah. early Harden days where he was there was oh, no, all because... over him.
0: Yeah, but in the sense that some guys, the main guys are still getting their calls. It just wasn't to the frequency as previous. So I think for five years previous until now, I think Harden was averaging around 10, 11 free throws a game. And now it's around between six and seven. But what that shows, even though obviously the calls have gone down, I think he's still fourth in attempts and fifths in makes or something like that. So he's still getting his calls cool. and that's in the and league. I, and that's cool, and it's just not the number the it was. Is, so this isn't a I, bad thing for the league.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's perfectly on the money. Like It's not like that. Oh, like, we're giving too much to the defenders and, and it's just ruined offense. I think the bigger impact is on three-point shooting almost than free throws because I think people know... Like they they haven't like allowed more dangerous stuff. They're still really strict. If you land in someone's landing space um, or impede that, like, but I don't know. I feel like they just that just every interaction just feels a little bit more physical now. People are being pushed out when they got a defender on their hip. They're being pushed away from the basket a little bit stronger. Obviously, people are gonna complain about officials anyway, so that's that's whatever. But I do think um, the basketball is the is is the quickest and the bestest look for a little while, and then also. I talked about you. I talked about this with you recently, but if you look at the standings, okay. Now we got. If you look at the league, you got Golden State Phoenix, who we're going to touch on, way out ahead, and then you got kind of Utah and Brooklyn, who have great records. But and as soon as you get Chicago and Miami as well, are good Milwaukee are good. But as soon as you get past that into kind of the midfield, Washington right up there with Milwaukee as well. You get into the midfield, you got Charlotte, thirteen and ten, Dallas ten and nine. Atlanta 11 and 10. Boston, Cleveland, Clippers, Memphis, Minnesota, New York Knicks, Philadelphia, all 11 and 10. LA Lakers 12 and 11. Portland 11 and 11. Denver 10 and 10. And then there's a little drop off to the Toronto's, Indiana. Although Indiana have had a tough slate and I watched them against Timberwolves the other night. They're better than that record. So you've got like eight, nine really good teams there, all within a game of each other. Okay, it's cross-conference, whatever. But the quality has evened out a lot. And I think it's so competitive. The East is amazing. The East has more talent in it than uh, the last however many years. Like, for example, um, when Miami played Chicago, DeRozan and Lowry, obviously famously very, very close, um, teammates in toronto and they put up this graphic at the start of the game that of their five years together in toronto they were both all-stars for four of them now those two are top players but they're no way nearer they guaranteed all-stars anymore obviously lowry in particular yep. in a different stage of his career but it just showed kind of where the east was it's like you know toronto and boston were were top of that kind of conference with cleveland taking the regular season half seriously when lebron was there and then everyone else kind of just jumbles. Wizards were decent, and it just you know, it was it was whatever. Do you know what else is? Three in the east. Now I would say the east now. I don't it's know for sure. would say the east now is as good as the west. Um, um i could say, say yeah, based interested. on
0: standings. Yeah, and also as well, you look, I think, at, you look. Not a hot take specifically, but if you look around these teams, okay, you've got the Nets on top in the East, of course, and was the Suns and Warriors on top in the West, and the Jazz, like. How many super teams are there? That that old tried and tested phase of super teams where they they stacked the on most stars. Okay, you've got KD and Harden on one team in in Orlando. Of course, Kyrie's not playing. But if you look at the Nets, well, I think that's actually helped Wizard with the that's helped that's that's
1: helped even out the Kyrie thing. We're gonna get onto that in a minute. Not even that. Like, everyone has what? Everyone has two guys. Everyone has two guys. Good teams. Unless everyone has injured. good teams.
0: I think it's just kind of moved towards carefully constructed rosters because you've got obviously my man down in the Staples Centre trying to put together a team that can take on anyone although obviously that would have been great in 2011 but not so much now but if you look at the rest of the teams the Jazz, Mavs Grizzlies, Clippers that's in the West you look at Heat, Wizards, Bucks Hornets even the Knicks and the Sixers I know Embiid is injured but these are like carefully constructed rosters where they have players that fit specific needs and it's obviously not traditionally full of like the big names because I think each yeah, team has 100%. at least like one I, max guy but teams with numerous max guys yeah. you can look and see that they're not doing as well as they probably should well
1: I think I think yeah I mean like it's a not so subtle mention the Lakers then LeBron it seems to me we'll talk about this in depth on another episode but it seems like he's seen what's happening in Brooklyn and Engineered Russ coming over and I know that they'd spoken to Lillard and DeRozan that summer as well and it's he was I, they're almost go. like yeah but they're almost like obviously LeBron's missed a lot of time but Westbrook and AD have the not best roster around and they're almost like surprised that they're in the position they are because people aren't taking shit like people are, especially these young stars, people that come in so ready, like a Trey, Lamello, Ja Morant, or, like, everyone like that, Edwards, the they, Edwards, they're not taking like, shit, they're coming in year, they're really and straight away jump. in people's face, but I mean, speaking of um, alleged super teams, speaking of the Eastern Conference, we got Brooklyn taking on New York last night, and um, Ended up Great. Uh, a win for Brooklyn, uh, a very good game, one hundred and twelve to one, one hundred and ten in Brooklyn's favor. Went right not down I've to the wire. School, um, no, not, I mean it went down to the wire. Evan Fournier, who's not, ha- he's had an up and down year. Big offseason acquisition for the Knicks. Tied it with seconds to go with a big three at the top, uh, top of the key, um, and then to be honest. The Nets, for all of their talent in KD and Harden, Harden having a great night, um, getting himself 34 points, eight assists, three steals, a few days after being booed for being so sloppy against the Phoenix Suns. But for all of that star power that KD and, and Harden have, what the Nets needed to win that was two free throws from James Johnson taking advantage of, of uh, Mitchell Robinson. So really good game, really quick game. Good night from Julius Randle as well. 24, nine, eight and two steals for Julius Randle. Randall, I mean, coming out afterwards and saying a ref... To- yeah, and he's, he's he's starting to pick it up. Or He came out after the game and said a ref told him <laughs> that he's not getting the calls because he doesn't feel like contact impacts Randall as much because he's stronger. So Big body tax. Heard we, that before. we still have, we still have a way to go before officiating is perfect. But Brooklyn are, a, are an interesting little case study here in terms of, for all of their records, a top of the East. Um, and they are they are right at the top of it. Is against teams that are below 500, so losing teams, the bottom feeders of the league, they're seven and zero. That's not a problem. Cool, done in their dance Normal. because they got more talent. However, so and this be. is this is more interesting for Brooklyn, and it really came to light kind of in the Phoenix Suns' loss as well as when it first got mentioned. I'm adding the Knicks one onto it against teams that are 500 and above, 50% win rate and above. Um, they're only eight and six even after last night's win. So okay, it's still a positive, but it shows that you can get at this Brooklyn team, and it shows that maybe they're coasting a little bit regular season, um, and 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 just doing their job. Which listen, you don't want to tie yourself out over eighty two games. I get that. Um, but talk me through what you've seen with Brooklyn, especially Harden, because Harden last night showed the difference that he can still go and dominate games, especially first It was it was really early aggression from first Harden. Off, it's been credited a lot to a. Yeah, he he had fifteen points in the first quarter. Um and so, yeah, it, so... It, a, a, a lot of it was attributed to talking to Reggie Miller pre game, who basically we don't know what was explicitly said, but it basically sounds like Reggie Miller said to him, What are you playing at? And then Harden's kinda yeah. said Harden's kinda said he's figuring out his new role. Obviously Houston completely yeah. different. So what's your take right. on Harden? What's your take on Brooklyn? How are you seeing things?
0: Yeah, let me wrap. So, with Harden, I think the one thing I could say obviously that the conversation with Reggie clearly helped, but I think yesterday, well, last night, sorry, was the first time it looked like Harden was having fun. And as cliche as that sounds, you saw all the things that he was good for. You saw the ball handling, he was driving to the hole a lot, the assists as well. He was coming off somewhat mid game against Phoenix. And to be fair to himself, even though he's a superstar in this league, Phoenix are one of the best teams in the league, if not the best to myself Mm -hmm. anyway. So it's clear they would struggle there, especially when their roster's so carefully constructed and they play so well as a team the last two years. And yeah, it's a big thing. He said he's adjusting to his role, of course. And so when he first came, Kyrie was still there, and Kyrie kind of took the role of the explosive scorer while Harden was controlling the ball and obviously dishing out where he could and kind of just controlling the tempo of the team and being that guy who can assist everyone kind of what the role he took on towards the end of Houston where he was very much ball dominant so we still had the ball a lot but his role was very much passive like I'll get my 20 at the end but you Kai and KD you go crazy while I control the pace which was working and it's great Mm. so Kyrie's gone and don't want to dwell too much on him and now it's it's funny I mean
1: the thing is obviously for anyone listening who's sort of uh, dipping into the NBA season first time with us Kyrie Irving is an employee of a New York State uh, organization New York have a mandate mm-hmm. that if you are not vaccinated you can't take part in indoor activities and you know so that's bas- he's, and he said yeah. that I'm not getting vax." the reasoning is uh, wishy-washy to, to is, in my mind. opinion but yeah but the fact is he's not doing it so Brooklyn have to adapt yeah. and even Harden when quizzed upon it he nearly kind of went down that rabbit hole himself after the game he goes yeah you know well I've been uh, you're readjusting with my role since you know uh, since never mind yeah um, <laughs> he carried yeah. talking so he's uh, beyond it and
0: but- I think part of that as well is down to the, I don't, I don't want to get, say it again, but the team construction, like KD's having an all-star year and you could always lean on him to do his thing. But in this era of like high-paced basketball... KD's having no an s- MVP year. MB, be, MVP Caliphany. Yeah. So KD's, yeah. why we see a lot of these smaller guards of like the 6'5", six, 6'6s six, and under having these monster numbers and all-star years, EG Trey, Levine, all these guys, is it's a very much high-pick-and-roll, fast-paced kind of year. And I think, Due to the Nets team construction, um, Harden doesn't have the ability to do what he did so well at, at sorry, at Houston. So previously he had Dwight for a bit, then he had Clint Capella, an athletic rim runner, dives to the hole almost all the time, can do a pick and roll. Or if he dishes off the top of the key, he'll distribute it to the corners. Great. Right now, the Nets don't really have so much of a system in that sense where he can't get those off because his only role options are Paul Millsap at grand old age of whatever. And LaMarcus Aldridge, bless his heart. So it's funny you
1: say this. No pun intended on Aldridge. No pun intended. It's funny you say this. Paul Millsap is looking every single year, his 16 in the league or whatever it is. He's looking absolutely. Awful. It's funny you say that, because I know you've had this pick and roll dearth issue with Harden's game this year in particular. Like he, you know, he had Dwight and Capella and stuff. Last night, James Johnson was...
0: It was doing yeah, it looked nice. More. Um,
1: and but it, that's it not looks sustainable. sustainable. It's, sustainable. No, it's not sustainable. Because ultimately we saw hope, that's how the Nets go back Claxton, in the game. Yeah, you hope Claxton is uh, good enough and takes enough of a consistent leap when he gets back from his injury. It's not going to yeah, be the they ghost are, of Blake. That. Yeah. They are it's lacking that, yeah. So it's not going to be the ghost of Blake. Blake that Blake's another one where it looks like the Nets have wrenched every drip out of the last remaining quality Blake might have had. Although we wrote him off before and he played well, but it doesn't look great so, yeah, right now. It doesn't um, look
0: great. So it's, again, like I don't think it's very... I don't have much faith in the Nets. I believe they're a Fugazi is one of our patrons likes to say because against the smaller teams, they're dunking all over them as they should because they have two of the best players in the world. That normally is enough to take you over. Mm-hmm. When you face kind of good teams, even the Knicks, who I'm not going to say are a great team, they're a good defensive team, high energy and young but and but they've got what they've got is a bit more organization you kind of know what they're going to run when i think when i believe they were down we're 20 or so, bit, yeah. yeah when they were down 20 or so in the third what all of a sudden changed is one of their guards will come down the floor and all of a sudden they overload the other side have a quick pick and roll maybe before they'll drive and then they'll set a pin on the other side all of a sudden they get a three from that or they drive to the lane and, and do their work from that and at least you saw there's a kind of pattern whereas with the nets it was kind of you start the game with a quick handoff and then it's freestyle from there And I think at one point there was a handoff between KD and Harden and that was money. Like you got a lot more than you would from maybe if you do a handoff with, per se, Patty Mills and Aldridge. But then again, they said, yeah, if we keep running this, like this is great, you'll get stuff from this. But ultimately, if you keep running that, everyone else is just standing around looking, looking to keep busy. And teams can clock that if you're only going to go to your two main guys. So I know that's a bit of an issue for them. So it should be interesting how they come up down the line against good teams as well. But for now, I don't have much faith in the Nets in terms of what they can offer. Yeah, definitely.
1: I think at the moment, best most consistent rim runners are looking like James Johnson and Bruce Brown. Good, like good squad guys, good roster, deep roster guys, you know. But maybe whether you, if you're going to rely on them in a playoff rotation of six or seven against Milwaukee is a different question. Um, what, what I mean, little pickups that I have really liked for the Nets. I I love uh what Lamarcus has done, and I think Lamarcus Aldridge coming back. Like for those who don't know, most do. Basically, took early retirement last year because of a heart scare. Um got something a second opinion on the of in the season. Yeah, I got an early a second opinion of it in the off season and unretired. And it's not it's clear he wasn't sitting on his ass. It's clear that he's been looking after himself because he's come in, and if we talk about options and first, second, third, he's looking like their third option. He's still money in the low block, he's still got that turnaround Jay He's he can pass out of that low block position but, so so well. But is it sustainable? Um, this is the problem. I think I mean I think in spurts. Yeah. I think you 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 can rely on that for 20 points in a in a 25 points in a playoff game. Not necessarily all from him, but maybe 10-15 from him and then a few that you're going to get kicking out. Whether or not, you know, it's easy to scheme around is another problem yeah. and well, uh, we another can't thing also with the regular the speed. season. Yeah. 100 speed of but the game. On, on his, his his brother in San Antonio, uh <laughs> Patty Mills looking like the Australian Steph right now, sprinting around screens and, and bombing from everywhere with his three ball. Patty Mills is another one where regular season, it's going to look amazing. How he looks off the bench in a playoff series, I don't know. And the thing is, the reason we have to always come back to the playoffs with certain teams, with teams like the Nets, like the Suns, like the Warriors, um, is because that's what these teams, and the, and the Bulls now, they're at that table now. They have pushed their chips in. That is what they are being judged on. Um, and so it's going to be a really interesting one for Brooklyn. And I also quite like uh, what DeAndre Bembry is doing there as well. It looks I mean, very like nice. But what they
0: yeah, what they can't rely on as well is, we, Yaz and I both watched this game, is the sheer pace. Like when it comes down to the playoffs, mm-hmm. games are not this quick. I know it wasn't the most high scoring as we've seen recently. Games all ended in 120-odd, 130-odd, 140-odd. But this no, net, and next game let's, let's, was th- back and 110 forth. 110
1: might be the average now. Yeah, average back,
0: this game was back and forth till the very end. And that's not extremely sustainable down the line, especially later in the season when teams start getting into their rotations and playoff ball starts coming into it. Like it's going to slow down a lot. And I don't think it's very sustainable for the Nets to keep playing like that.
1: To summarise that, 10 10 lead changes in the fourth quarter. So if you're, I mean, it's one thing going blow for blow with the New York Knicks. If you're doing that with the Milwaukee Bucks, it might be another thing. Let's talk about the Knicks. Let's move on from the Nets. Let's talk about the Knicks. Um, Coming into this game, what kind of dominated things for the Knicks was the sad demise of uh Kemba Walker I should be happier about this because he he was poor in Boston last year this knee issue it seems like is way worse than people realize like his mobility is cooked he's you know it's 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 looking like It could be a a sharp end to his career. People are talking about him, especially Tibbs, um, who's now kicked him out of the rotation and said, yeah, I respect Kemba for what he's done in the league, but he's not playing for me anymore.
0: But he can't do what Tibbs does, play defense.
1: It's almost looking like an Isaiah Thomas situation, basically. But you know what? You just come up on, you've you've hit the nail on the head. This was never amid the romanticism of Kemba going home, back to New York, he's a Bronx boy. Amid all of that his fit with Tom Thibodeau was never great. It was a New York team that last year, their identity was entirely defined by what they did defensively. And they needed an extra offensive punch. They don't get enough easy buckets. If it's not Julius Randle grafting to make things happen, which he still did fantastically well last night, by the way, Julius is back rolling, hopefully. Um, But if it's not Randle grafting to create stuff, then they do struggle offensively, as we saw last year. Um, Ironically, they're, they're... Line up from the bench this year. So their lineup, and this is what's this caused the change for Kemba to leave him out of the out of the rotation. Their lineup from the bench of D. Rose, Taj Gibson, Alec Burks, topping and and quickly, uh, ex-Kentucky guy, had a better offensive and defensive rating. They were nine points better per hundred possessions than the starters and they were about 24 points better off defensively than the starters, which is a disaster. Their, their net rating, the bench net rating was 28 over 100 possessions plus. The starters net rating with Kemba was minus 16 per 100 possessions. Eesh. Take Kemba out of that, and it basically goes to a, 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 a even, a negative. You can't, like I've seen it now up close as a Boston fan. Last season, Fournier and Kemba they can be instant offense, which is what New York thought they were getting, but defensively, it's 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 sticky. Yeah, so defensively. Kemba's in a funny position, so it's a sad one, really, with Kemba, because like he got basically let go with his big max contract to go to New York on eight million, and it's looking potentially two year like New as York well. even yeah, they think they're done with like him. New York don't even see value for him on eight million a year, which is very concerning. Also, OKC. OKC will look to trade anyone to get a pick. OKC decided to buy this guy out of $30 million. So that's a bit of a concern for the the knee. We've talked talked about that lineup, though. New York did look a lot better, kind of going back to that gritty last year identity. Alec Burks coming in, old, reliable head, which Tibbs loves, coming in for Kemba. Um, What are we saying with the Knicks? Because the Knicks were like the big surprise last year in terms of they've shot up the Eastern Conference they basically came they were a joke two years ago you would laugh at the mention of them The Knicks have been a joke most of my j- life the, There we go I say two years ago for the majority of our lives Julius Ervin in the 90s and that um, Patrick sorry Patrick Ewing in the 90s and that it was the last time we really saw any and a little really Mello the little mellow remontada with the little brief, yes. oh, yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, the, the little mellow Mello period, the, Mello the, Amari, the
0: Amari period mm. too, which is even shorter. We shout out Mello for taking those away from him, but it's fine because his period was good as well. But yeah, <laughs> um, so what are we say with the Knicks? Like, I think now now they've clearly gone back to what worked last year,
1: but that wasn't enough last year to do anything. Of no, should they just be happy with what they are, just being this scrappy tough team to beat, or what?
0: Yes and no. So what? Currently they're eleven and ten, so just above five hundred. And they're currently on a well, they lost their last game by four. I think they had a bit of a streak before that. So I think when they came into the season they won five or six. And since then, they've been sub five hundred. So they had a nice start, and obviously Kemba dropping out the rotation is kinda of testament of the fact that Tibbs wants to shake things up very early, a quarter into the season. So right now they're seventh in the East, so I think, yeah, between sixth and eighth is kind of where I kind of see the Knicks residing because that gritty stuff is all well and good. But I think constantly in this league of offense is where they're always going to struggle, especially Julius Randle. Okay, he's not getting the calls from the referees per se. And we've said it numerous times that we've people have projected onto players what we think they might be. And when they don't do it, it's kind of a disappointment. So don't get me wrong, Randle had a great all-star caliber year last year, one most improved. But ultimately his game what I don't, be- I don't believe personally is sustainable long-term into kind of what the Knicks want to do and kind of stay thereabouts. Because don't get me wrong, so good for work down in the post does his work, but the majority of his work, what he likes to do a like, is like a old school, the Marcus at Portland vibe. Wants to be in the mid range, mm-hmm. likes a step back, likes a difficult shot. He took a lot of those yesterday and made them to be fair. But he's coming off two yeah, games yeah, where he that scored little, single that digits. Low shoulder shrug the low off. Shoulder and, uh, shrug off. And so he likes those away. kind of shots. But like I said, the last two games he scored single digits. So obviously it's not been fair play for him this whole season which is also a problem. So, yeah, and the rest of the roster, if we look around there. So, RJ Barrett went off yesterday because he was obviously ill, couldn't continue the game, non-COVID related, but he couldn't do what he did. So, yeah. I still Brando's... don't know where I am on Barrett. I still don't know um, where I am on I know Barrett. where I am. I'm not on Barrett. That's just it. Um, I'm so, up yeah. and
1: down. I-, I thought he was garbage. Like, I thought he was overrated in the draft, coming into the league, I thought taking him him third was. Eh, I, I thought it was buying into the hype a little bit. Then his first year, I was vindicated. I was like, yeah, he's garbage. Then second last season, he had a really, really promising year. And then every time I sit down to actually watch the Knicks, I'm not impressed. And I just, yeah, I don't know where yeah. I am
0: with him. I think what where we are with Randall now is what he's supposed to be. Maybe not, Randall he, he, he... Barrett. Randall Barrett as well. Barrett, I'm not too sold on. No, I'm on, I'm on about Barrett. I'm Barrett, on about Barrett. I think Barrett's his ceiling is probably a good defender. 13 to 15 put per game kind of guy. He's gritty. Not not a good shooter either. But yeah, I think, like I said, it happens all the time in the draft. People are overstated for what they are. And then obviously, people are obviously disappointed because they're all over-projected. But yeah, sorry to go back to Randall quickly. Gave us, what, 24 last year? We're back on 19. I think in his first year in New York he scored 19 or so 19 per game as well in the short little steady ad, so 19 and 10. I think he's shooting 41% from the field, down from 45. Um, obviously, the increased responsibility and the new role they gave him worked great last year because obviously it was kind of a breakout year for him. But this year, I'm not really seeing kind of the value of it. I know it's quarter of the season in, the rules have changed somewhat, and okay, he's not getting his calls, but yeah, I think he kind of fits what um, Tom Thibs Pib- um, wants just because he's a big body. Tries hard on defense. Not a great defender by any means, but he's just a big body they can have there. They've got the athletic rim runner there as well. In what's his name again? Is it Robinson, Mitch Robinson? So yeah, yeah, Mitch, he
1: he's another one, Mitch Rob. Um, um, yeah, yeah, I'm, Yeah, sure. I'm not sure
0: what his exactly what his ceiling might be as well. So the Knicks roster is not, it's, it's a bit devoid of talent. So the, don't get me wrong, Tibbs is doing 100%. an amazing job, That's, no, it's, no, but you're it's right. devoid That's of problem. talent, it's, it's especially offensive. And
1: I think, I think, I think, Rand. You talk about Randall, and you like Randall is so much bigger a discussion I think than just what his points per game is whether it's 24-19 I think he's so dependent on not so dependent to um, dis him as a player like I think you get twice the player if he has some help because he can command a double team he's enough of a threat nowadays to command that especially with his physical gifts and he can play make like out of that low post out of that elbow he can really really move yeah, the ball but you've got D Rose playing enough, 35 a game him,
0: in, 20, well, in 2021. Well, yeah. That's a big problem. But D-Rose, Tim fucked his up l- last l- time. L- hold, on, hold
1: on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. But D-Rose, like, if it wasn't for, we'll talk about this later, but, if it wasn't for certain other man, d Rose would be six man of the year candidate again. Like he's, of course, he's effective on the bench. He's, he's
0: effective, effective, but he's play, he played played thirty five a game here the other day, and I know he's an increasing part of there. And don't get me wrong, I'm very happy Derek Rose has made something of his career. Obviously, from the heights of MVP to all his injuries, like he's doing amazing. But ultimately, you can't rely on. Don't get me wrong. Fournier had a but great. But I think Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose on a, on a
1: on a. But nah, but yo, Derrick Rose on a on a financially friendly deal as a six man is not the Knicks problems. The Knicks it's problems it's is what not. you have around Randall from the start. And if you've got, okay, Barrett, the three point shot sometimes is great. Sometimes it's not. Uh, quickly, I like again from the bench unit, like the bench unit is where all their positivity is. And you look at their 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 starters, Mitch Rob. I just, I don't know for that guy. He's missed a lot of time. So he's not the finished article yet. Fine. Um, but then Kemba, obviously they're going to have to, Put Alex Burks in there now. He will play a lot more
0: off ball, probably.
1: So Score twenty five yesterday, or, so
0: fair play to Burke
1: Yeah, and 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 a lot of that was due to the gravity around Randall because Alex yeah. Burke is is not going to dominate the ball like you need. He's Kemmer, not going to give you as a volume guy. But and then Fournier, Fournier, Fournier needs to work. He needs to work for them to do anything, and they've invested a good bit of money into him. Not like crazy money, but ninety million a year is a big part of their cap. But big free agent signing. With a ball I yeah, and and. He can be like a secondary ball handler himself, but he needs to work. He needs to work. Anyway, enough of the Knicks. We need to move on to the headline game of, um, of last night, which was Phoenix Suns at home due to the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, tell me two a bit more about that. that. that were, well, t- two teams that were basically w- w- miles ahead in terms of setting pace in the NBA. Um, they were both... This is the first time to, to sort of set the scene. This is the first time in NBA history I heard that two teams were playing that have both won seven in a row or more and are on at least 85% in terms of their win percentage. So, like, in in isolation, if you just look at that, it's, it's the two most dominant NBA regular season teams and it, we've never had two teams so in form and so flowing come, come head to head. Um, didn't disappoint as a spectacle at all. I'm going to just lead with the first headline, which I know is going to put a smile on your face as the podcast's resident um, Curry hater. Or Curry, let's just say you hold him to a very high standard. Um, Mikhail Bridges had that guy in Feltham, Isis, Wandsworth, Brixton, Wormwood Scrubs, uh, Belmarsh, Azkaban, Robben Island. Like this guy was in all types of hell uh, with Mikhail Bridges. Steph Four went 4 for of 21. 21. Listen, listen, some of the shots, some of the shots he should have scored and, and you need Steph to have an off night to get a win against the Warriors, right? But I don't think we should, this, this, uh this McCarbridge's defensive performance. He was on the guy like a rash to the point where McArbridge has played like 42 minutes out of 48 because every time they took him out for a rest, Warriors would put Steph in earlier than they wanted to rest. So he was just straight back on. like every, Almost every minute. Let me just quickly look at the rotations because I track those. I'm, I'm looking at the Curry minutes. Every minute that Curry was in, barring, I think, two in the... In the in the first quarter, Mikael Bridges was in. Maybe two in the third quarter before the starters came back. Every minute that Steph was in, they had Mikael on him. He did not leave him. It was it was like the most impactful two-point game I've seen all season. The guy wasn't allowed to go get his, weren't allowed to hit his shots because he had one objective in the game and, and okay. it was to get onto that's Steph. That's okay. And it was okay. makes the dream work. That's playoff basketball. That's playoff yeah. basketball. That's scheming. That's planning for the opposition. And that was a really good marker set down by Phoenix that they can be every bit that they were last year. Just a word on Phoenix in general, right? As well as just before we get into the intricacies of how they play and this, it would have been so easy for Phoenix to come into this season. I think they lost three of their first five or something like that. It would have been so easy for Phoenix to come in after just falling short in the finals last year. So come into Giannis, come into this season now with the Lakers super team, La la la. They could have easily just been on autopilot and and giving it a rest and but they haven't like they could have easily done like a spurs after the champions league saying right we've peaked cool this is a team that missed the playoffs for 10 straight years before going to the finals so they could have easily just said well that was nice for us as a franchise but we're done but then when you have certain people there monty williams a fantastic coach chris paul there as much as the leadership thing gets overdone he he's not going to let that stuff lie he needs that ring they haven't done that. They haven't laid down. They've come back arguably even better because they've set a quicker pace uh, in terms of the standings than they did last season. They're playing unbelievable basketball. Like you say, it's it teamwork makes your dream work. They haven't got like a mega star. They've got Devin in terms of D-Book. They've got Booker who's in and around that young... On the corner, court, young, young, young star. Group of, yeah, he's around he's that of... He's been in the league a while like, as
0: well. people yeah, always He's forget. around that
1: kind of... He, he, he's, for me personally... Not yet separated himself from that Tatum, Brown, Mitchell, Trey Young crowd personally, right? So, and that's a very good crowd to be in if you're sitting at that table. Yeah, don't put Trey Young. You're sitting on the right right. table. Let's not do that.
0: Don't put, don't put Trey Young with Devin
1: Booker. Well, Trey Young got his team to a conference finals,
0: a lot quicker than Booker did. To be fair, however, I think his team was So I'm saying, like,
1: that's a good table to be sat. at. He hasn't quite gone past that yet for me. And then they got Chris Paul who okay, six years ago, Chris Paul was a mega star of the league and Chris Paul is an unbelievable player still now, but he's at a very different stage of his career. So despite not having a de facto star, they haven't got a prime Steph, they haven't got a prime KD, they haven't got a prime Yannis. They're the best team in the NBA, according to the standings and according to the record. So the game was fantastic. Um, Apart from Steph being put in hell, they were were scheming for Steph. It was interesting to see kind of what Steve Kerr had to try to do in terms of in terms of his game plan, they they struggled with Chris Paul. Okay, if 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 Golden State Warriors are small ball, then last night was Paul ball because that was CP3's game. Um, they the book went. I'm sorry to say, but you lot are gonna have to accept it. Anyone who watched that game, the biggest takeaway was that that was a Chris Paul vintage win, and I'm sorry, that's just the fact that I'm at a detail. Don't mean a thing without the there. ring. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever. The defense got them there in terms of being competitive and being in with the shout in the first place. But Chris Paul's IQ and quality was what put them over the edge for the win. So D-Book um, came out with a little hamstring tightness, like 20, 22 minutes left to go. So just though, I think just, no, sorry, 20, 20 minutes gone. 22 minutes gone. He was, he was out of the game. So over the half the game without D-Book and Phoenix still got the win. Kerr was having fits. Steve Kerr was having fits. You could see it in their schemes in how they handled it. Um, Phoenix run a lot of pick and roll. Like you say, they got the type of big man you can do that with. So they have DeAndre Ayton and then they got D-Book and they got CP3. So they can run pick and roll all day. Ayton smacked up Golden State inside. He came out with 24 points last night. Good offensive boards as well. Um, They didn't have anyone who could hang with him. Like Draymond hasn't got the length. Looney was was poor. Looney was really poor last night. He's a player who's maybe trusted above his station. Looney didn't see the court for the last 16 minutes of the game. Um, well, I think so. so they 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 couldn't hang with him. Arguably, the best person to hang with Aiton inside actually was uh, Bielitza, who's more seen as like a perimeter outside guy. But you could see Kerr having to respond to that pick and roll and struggle with it. So every time, so expect, again for listeners who maybe like, because we do get people ask us more about the tactics and the X and O's of basketball. So boom, pick and roll is money, and it's the simplest but most effective thing to do in basketball if you've got the players to do it. Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton for last night's example pick and roll is a nightmare Easy. as well because the Suns have shooters the Suns on the floor for a lot of last night they had uh, Cam Johnson good little shooter um, they had uh, Mikal Bridges who's a good shooter Jay Crowder who we laugh at the shot sometimes because it can be so wayward but you do have to respect him. Landry, Landry Shammit when he's on a good night he's a good shooter we've um, got champagne so got, campaign uh, on occasion so straight away you've you got to shooters. spread them around the perimeter and you open up a defense because the defense have got to think fuck well I've got to close out to this guy so if I'm too far inside he's going to have an open shot, three points in. Bang. Killer. All right? So now we take the pick and roll. So you've got these two guys, the other three are spread and we've got Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton. DeAndre Ayton will come, set the pick, set the screen, set the, set the wall, whatever you want to call and it. And roll hard and to the basket. he'll spin off to the basket. He'll roll half to the basket. And DeAndre Ayton around the basket Good is hands. fantastic. He, he's, he's, he's got great hands for his size. Great hands for his size. He's got lovely touch. He, he's got Ooh. the finger rolls. He's got the tip putbacks. He's got the, the tip-ins. Lovely touch around the basket. um, And he's got the physique to match it. Like when he's aggressive, because that's been my criticism of him. is Sometimes he's just a bit too timid. um, But when he's aggressive, which he was last night, and he was for a lot of last season's playoffs, he's a killer in there. So straight away now, if I'm a team, I've got to worry about that. So pick and roll is usually a 2v1. Bam, if someone comes set me and rolls to the basket and it's DeAndre Eight, and I've got to follow him. But then you're leaving Chris Paul who is a massive problem not only on the mid range. Let's say you get someone over to help with the mid range. Chris Paul will splash mid range all day, but he's also got the IQ to hit one of those guys in the corners. So that was a huge problem for Golden State last night and they tried to go zone um, to to stop it. When they did Don't go zone, it was kind of like they tried a few ti- they tried a few things. They tried box and one um a couple times and and they actually had Wiggins on CP3 for that. And it was nice. good, but Wiggins has had some low back injuries. And he, he Wiggins struggled i And getting low to deal with CP like. is the
0: last thing you want to do when you got a bad back.
1: Yeah, nah, he struggled, man. Physically, you could see he weren't quite there. He weren't like attacking the rim at all. But he did a decent job on, on CP3 defensively. They had their, uh, Chris Kioza come in, who's but like, that's not who you need to rely on. He was good, but he's not who you need to rely on. So they tried to go zone. They tried to have a little box and one. They tried to just do normal zone, like a 2-3. But then the problem with the zone... Is yeah okay? A zone will stop the pick and roll because it's not man for man, and you're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna lose. You're not gonna have a man cut out of the game by having a screen set. But on move it. the ball but fast the enough, and the zone is in disarray. About, trust me. So you can hit Aiton there in the middle. You can hit be there in the middle. And we then had a from there, European the whole action that, is comes from, that from that there. You get movement. threes easily. And then, you yeah, get
0: someone in the middle it's perfect, exactly. especially someone competent like and, Aiton.
1: And so that's, that's probably Phoenix's biggest strength against this Golden State team because we're talking about this as a potential Western Conference Finals matchup. Golden State don't have a man to hang with Aiton as, even if not directly, as a problem because the zone doesn't work because they can go over him. Don't forget as well, by the way, let's say Aiton sits. Who else is a killer in the zone in terms of running to the rim and has played in a ball movement offense for Steve Kerr himself? JaVale McGee. Who was coming in and killing them as well in the that's minutes a that he had. He that's was what, doing great That's a winner there. right there. So between Paul, McGee, Ayton, and then the shooters they had out, it was it was long. And Golden State were actually in the lead for a lot of the first half because they had their three going. But then once Phoenix just defensively, collectively just decided to stop that sort of stuff, a lot of people played good defense. Like Bridges locked Steph up, that's a that's the headline. Wiggins on CP three. Um sorry. CP three murdered Bielitsa when Wiggins went out. They had like they had him and, and Draymond trying to keep up with C P three at the perimeter. That that was long. Um the defence was a big, big difference. But yeah, it was it, it showed a lot what they could do in, in the Western Conference Finals. Steph will get the headlines, but um but yeah, it just was one of those nights. What I will say moving forward about this though is you had an unfit Wiggins and you had no Clay. And Clay's looking like he might come back.
0: I don't uh, want to hear that. Purely because Steph has been way killing bo- teams all year and all of a sudden he goes 4-for-21 and is not spoken. We must speak on it because people were not calling for clay back. Listen, he, had, he, had, listen he got locked, up. He got locked, he got locked up. up. he got locked up. He got locked up. that's just it. S-
1: simple as. He got and locked Lent has always and, been his
0: weakness. We've always seen it. It's always been his weakness. But of course, it's And now. that's
1: another thing with this Phoenix team, by the way, is if it wasn't Bridges doing it, then you could throw Crowder onto him. And if it wasn't Crowder onto him, then you could get... like there was. To be fair, there was times where Aiton was coming out to the perimeter. Aiton's quick enough to handle that at times and Steph was trying to shoot over him. It's like, you bro, can't you're, in that's you're in hell.
0: yeah, You're in Belmarsh. You're in... More than not. Bang your doors, Steph. Yeah. More often than not, he shifted so. the big man out of the way to shoot over them. But if one can just stay still in front of him, then it's a problem.
1: Yeah, so it was um it was it was a really it was a really big win for Phoenix. Um obviously it's not the finished article Warriors, but it was a nice marker set down that showed Golden State in particular and any team that is kind of relying on guards shooting them into a game. Um that Phoenix will be able to scheme for them and, and Phoenix will be a real real problem this year. And I I want them 17 to 17 straight. Want them to that's let no up. joke. 17 straight. Well, that's equaled their franchise record. The last time they did that was back in 07. Steve with Nash those, and Amari, um, Amari days. Amari days, which is the famous Suns team. Which is basic. Steve Nash and Amari the in seven Prime. seconds or less. There we go. And that's like an iconic historical basketball team, which is well worth a YouTube for everyone in the NBA. Like the people still in Phoenix, that is their that is their franchise peak. And this team have gone and equaled their win records. So we've got to pay credit to that. And uh, yeah, Phoenix are an exciting watch, man. I recommend it. They're not quite moving the ball as much... As, as last year, which is interesting. But to to do this without Booker, to what without that go-to guy, but, but it was CP3, man. Like, I'm telling you, not just the pick and roll, but late in the game, when it was game close, he was, co- he was in complete control. He was calling everything. He was recognising everything. He was getting right in the heart of defence and then kicking it out for shooters. He was keeping the intensity up on defence, even if he's not the guy guarding, because, you know, um, he's pesky, but he's not the guy you want guarding a top player. It was... It was a, a really strong performance, man, and, and it was it was a top watch. So, last night, we've, we've had a good look at a lot of um, contenders. So, look, rounding up, last few things. We had a couple of listener questions that I want to just go through. Um, number one, I'm going to throw this one at you, and I want, I want you to think of both sides, but how do you see the Ben Simmons situation playing out and who's going to come out on top? By on top, I'm assuming they mean Philadelphia and Daryl Morey against Ben and his agent, Rich Paul, Um, Now, for some context, Ben got scapegoated at the end of the playoffs last year. He didn't play well, but we knew what he was as fans. What doesn't help is your coach and franchise saying they're fine with it. And then at the end of those said playoffs, blame you for what they said they were fine with you being. like. He doesn't shoot. He isn't aggressive. We know that. So I'm assuming they know that in the organization. Don't then blame it when it goes wrong. Sorry. He's got a lot of strengths. You've said you're fine with those being his strengths. I didn't appreciate how he was thrown under the bus by Doc yeah. and Joel. That being said, he has not covered himself in glory, refusing to go back to training camp and still refusing to go back. Citing mental health issues. Now, I would like to think that he's not actually suffering, to be honest. I would rather think he's just playing the system to not get docked all his pay. If he is suffering, though, you never know because all the as much as these guys case. Trust me, and as much as you guys live life, like this guy is being mocked mercilessly the world round and being sort of, you know, held hostage. By the Whilst having some other personal
0: issues, which we don't need to discuss as well. But yeah, with that situation. However, uh, what I will say though, um, is
1: if you are really struggling to get out of somewhere, maybe don't say that you only want to go to California, might help your situation. Anyway, how do you see this one playing out? Because Darren Mori says he's not trading him for, a, a unless it's for another franchise player. And he said he has four years left and I'm happy to just let it run. So who's coming out on top? So
0: yeah, I think Darren Maury wins ultimately, because they get him out eventually and they'll get players back because, ultimately, Ben isn't ending up where he wants to end up regardless because his value has tanked so much and we kind of know exactly what he is. In this offense-heavy league, you can't have a ball-dominant so-called guard, even though he's 6'10", so in reality, he's a forward. You can't have that kind of player just sitting around, especially one that is, like we said, afraid to shoot. And so much so, we saw him underneath the basket and still passed it out. So... Yeah, I think Phoenix, uh not Phoenix, sorry, the Sixers come out on top in the end and look to get a few pieces in back for him. I'm not sure they'll get the haul they wish for, but Ben Simmons hasn't ended up anywhere where he likes. So I think he's gonna have to see out his contracts, God knows where, and we'll kinda decide long term who wins. But for me, it's it's the Sixers. What about you? Uh
1: I think I, I honestly I have no idea how this is gonna go because I think he's tanked his value to the point. Of why would any GM Give something for him So the Sixers are saying They only win if They get something equivalent Like For me they should take A CJ McCollum and run Apparently they want more than that Like in their mind They nearly had Harden for Wait, him If they like, take a CJ McCollum and
0: run that. They look better already
1: But I'm Exactly But then I think he's tanked his value To the point where Let's Okay let's say You've got a guy Who's not team first Because he said I'm not coming to training I'm not showing up for work Straight away, I'm an employer. I'm a GM, yeah? I'm giving a guy multi-multi-millions. I'm an owner, whatever. I'm looking at that and thinking, that's not the type of guy I want around. Me personally, me personally, I don't know how much I would like to deal with Clutch and Rich Paul, especially with a star like Ben. Like, you know, they're, they're, you the term, star they're are notorious as, well. as an agency. They're, look, they're player first. I'm an owner and a GM. I don't want player first. I want a compromise but I don't want the most player first organ- uh, agency running my shit. Um, secondly, again and this is this is harsh, right? But let's say these mental health things and he's not fit to play basketball. Like as an owner I'll be sympathetic and maybe want to rehabilitate him to play basketball, but I'm not going to trade my franchise guy for it because he's that's a, that's a that's a minefield. That's tough. That's a tough situation. I have no idea how long he'll be out. Not only is he arguably not team focused Potentially really suffering to the point where he's not basketball fit. As a player, I don't rate him that highly. I'm not the biggest Ben Simmons fan. And I think a lot of the Ben Simmons rep has come on what he might have become. Or all he needs is a midi. All he needs is a floater. All he needs is a little jump shot. Like, it's not there. He doesn't have the variety of Ben to make up for him. And if he's a centre, which I think he needs to be on a good team... I don't know if like, he's not the, the most athletic that's very
0: yeah overstated. and he's not just the, and, it, and he's just not he's,
1: the most he's, aggressive he's, he's an average he'll get, athlete he'll get back he's
0: down then. Cool. average athlete average ball handler so he, he reminds me of a Blake, Sim, Blake Griffin without the athleticism and obviously playmaking because if you're 6'10 and you but, can see over the defence you can make passes
1: but bro yeah, and that's all great, but big difference is Blake Griffin went away and was like, "I need a three-ball. I'm gonna work." And on he can, it. And uh, now ben,
0: ben Simmons has shown yeah, no. Ben Simmons has shown no, to
1: do that. no indication of no even king. caring enough to do it. So, so that's for me. It's, it's a. I don't know who's gonna win, but I can see the Sixers having to buckle because they're not gonna get nine. However, I think they have more situations where they can win. If he comes back and he plays, the Sixers win. If they get anything good for him in a trade, the Sixers win. If he doesn't get exactly where he wants to go. Then argue the is a, win. and they get what they want the Sixers win alright next one up um, this, is, this is this could last an hour so we're going to have to be quick so we keep this kind of time but La La Land laughter Vogel on the hot seat Frank Vogel out Lakers only 12 and 11 LeBron's missed time they've had some quite embarrassing losses overtime wins against Kings have boosted their record um, is it Frank Vogel's fault though
0: no no and to cut a long story short I'll put it into like three points or at least try. So LeBron is about to have missed 12 of 23 games because obviously I think now he's just been put into the COVID protocols. So he'll miss quite a few games for that as well. So there's that firstly, and I think there's seven and four with him, four and seven without him. So, okay, cool. We know he's a good player, but also he's 3,900 years old. So you can only rely on him so much. Along with that, the roster construction isn't the best. From around, my guy, Russell Westbrook, as we all know, for all you listeners, he's my guy. And he's been playing well as of late. However, for a man they mocked in the bubble less than two years ago, I'm not sure why they advocated so much to sign for him. And even though it's not a good fit, and I can't blame him for all the wrongdoings, he's had some bozo moments, as we've all seen in little clips. As a whole, he's kind of played well, so I can't really blame him. Thirdly, you've got Anthony Davis. Again, won the, chi- won the chip in the bubble. Amazing stuff. But again, once you project onto players and to being what they are, we've always heard he's a top five guy, blah, 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 blah. And ultimately, he's just not been at the level... That the team wants him to be at and then as fi- finally lastly um what won leg lakers the chip in the bubble at the time was defense staunch proper defense and ultimately lebron will re- <coughs> control the tempo and they run the floor which is great now we've got a roster full of defensive first guys and that doesn't really help vogel and vogel is best known for those who don't know of the prime indiana teams of paul george in his early days roy hibbert danny granger and even Lance Stevenson at the time causing LeBron trouble while he was at Miami. And those teams were elite defensive teams. However, he's not got any kind of defender close to that in his current team. Don't get me wrong, is a great defender, but recently he's not been at his best and that comes down to the whole team situation. So you've got an office, offense first team, um, defense lacking, and that's what he's known for. So ultimately, yeah, it's not Vogel's fault. And to sack him, I think would be a cop-out because ultimately they gave him the tools and the tools just aren't fit for the job. And hindsight is a wonderful thing. So at the start, I said, oh, we'll see what happens. But in reality, yeah, it's not Vogel's fault in, in, in its entirety. And I think the three stars have a lot to take a lot of the blame themselves, as well as well as Mr. Polinka. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's yeah, it for me. But as we see, it's not going to be a GM or a president of basketball officiations head on the chopping block. It's gonna oh, be hell coach. no. Um, lastly, lastly, we got asked... Um, for our end of season predictions, and it's you and me here. For so we're the ones who are going to have to bear the brunt of this. We're the ones who have to kind of go out of there. But I'm yeah, not letting the boys get away with you, this. You, I'm gonna, you know I love I'm it. I'm going to be I'm going to I'm going to be plastering the Twitter of everyone else's shots. Alright, boom. Um, very quickly, what I'd like us to do, to be fair, is I'd like we pick a we pick a a favorite and a dark horse because obviously with these things, sometimes you predict it, and then sometimes you just don't want fucking my man to win the MVP again. Like, um, so favorite and a dark horse. So we'll do it. But I would, um mvp for me i'm gonna go i'm gonna go steph sadly. um i'm gonna go steph um i think there's i think the, the contenders for this i think aren't getting spoke about enough like there's people have this. already kind of decided it's Stephs. but for me kd Jokic and janice are playing crazy shit um and, sadly we don't and pg the 13 just won below so yeah we don't and, and their the records race. aren't there yet their records aren't there yet. So I think it's an interesting one. Like, obviously, Steph's the obviously choice now because the record is what it is. I think that's going to even out over the season. Like, um, Especially, you know, once Brooklyn get rolling, KD might get a bit more traction. Giannis, Milwaukee will be right back up there. But I, I think Steph, and to be honest, I don't even have a dark horse. I think I think the only other, I think it's Steph or KD's to lose.
0: Yeah, it's uh, sadly the same because once the media can go silent on a 4-for-21 night, you kind of know where the narrative is heading. So sadly, I believe Steph is one of the favourites, but also KD. And like you said, it just comes down to the records in the end, how the season goes and how they're looking. But I think the media darling Steph at the moment, which isn't a bad thing, is heading towards MVP at this time. Um, special shout out to DeMar DeRozan as well as having an all-star caliber, um, MVP calibre season, as well as Paul George, Jokic and Yanis. But again, the main two front runners again for me, are KD and Steph. So yeah. Defensive Player
1: of the Year. I'm gonna go Gobert favorite because like you, you people will say LeBron is inevitable. That guy's DPOY is inevitable. Um, but my dark horse is Draymond, man. If if um if they can keep this defensive record up, Golden State, Draymond's been playing amazing stuff. He's been playing for some... someone who was yeah for someone who was insulted last year, rightly at times, and the, the offense falling off as whatever. Like he's been he's been really really playing well. So my dark horse, I'd like it to go Draymond. Um, but favorite Gobert. What are you telling me?
0: year um sorry for the lack of creativity guys again the defensive player of the year is inevitable it is rudy gobert as long as the jazz stay relevant especially in the top three in the west which they've done for the last three odd years it's going to be gobert because like we said and i want to see what the streets have to say about his defense once he wins his fifth or so so yeah it'll be him and the dark horse you know again. what's
1: funny about gobert <laughs> i think gobert's underrated right but obviously people don't like him because it's but I mean, arguably, playoffs is, doesn't suit it because he's so rim heavy. But It's um, not good. Obviously, best defenders he, around boring. him. Either. He's boring. Uh, he's yeah, uh, but he's boring. People don't want to see fucking fundamental rim protection. They want to see mad stuff. So I like the media who vote on this. I feel like they get a little bit of a kick out of rating Gobert to get back at the people yeah. who only like drip over D and and all of that. But anyway, yeah, I think I think it's his Sh- to lose. Assuming. Most improved player. Most improved player. This is one where I think we could. We, so I have start two. Okay, yeah, we can start to separate. Yeah, i can start doing the dark, You go first it? on this one. You go first on this one.
0: So, ultimately, my first Just like you choice... Just so you can't copy my takes again, really. Yeah, so if I go first, I'm going to tell you right now, I believe it could be Jordan Poole. I believe he is the front runner at the moment. Jordan Poole
1: kept them, Jordan Poole kept them in the game last night. It was yeah, the, it was the three Ps of, of uh, Poole, Porter, and... Uh, who was the third P who kept them in the game? I can't remember. Paul and Porter, uh, or Porter Jr., were hitting their shots. Um, and Peyton, Gary Payton, kept them in. That was it. Gary Payton 2,
0: the sequel. But yeah, Jordan Paul, good shout. So yeah, Jordan Paul for me is kind of the main guy. And then secondly, I want to say the dark horse is Tyler Harrow. Just because those are like the main two front runners for me, and don't get me wrong, there were a lot of names I could have chosen from, which Yaz will probably run through as well. There is Lamello, there's Jar, there's but there's all sorts. But six, it's a six-man, no. yeah. No, no, no. This most most improve, almost yeah. There's Lamello, there's yeah, yeah. Jar, there's Anthony Edwards, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's all names. But no, for me, front runner yeah. is my man Jordan Poole. and the uh, follow up would be <sighs> I'm not so there. I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna go Edwards.
1: I was gonna say, I was about to come at your Tyler Hero because spoiler, Tyler Hero is the favourite for six man for both of us and everyone. Yeah. I think there's not really any getting away from that. I looked, nobody has ever won six man and most improved ever together. Never. He's not, he's up And man. I get that. You want but you wanna separate awards, didn't you? So I don't yeah. if he gets six man, he's not getting most improved as well. For me, if he comes back in the next six weeks, I think it's Jars to lose. Jar has taken like he doesn't even need to take a leap. Like, he's taking a little leap, but the guy's already dragging his team to the postseason. So it's not really most improved, but I feel like it'll be a crowning acknowledgement. And he made it he last year. What he was Jumping doing.
0: over Steph, by the way. Steph has shivers when we say bro. his name out loud. So, bro, two come years on, in man. a row.
1: And so I, I, don't think he's actually that improved. I think Jar's legit. Anyway, I'm just doing yeah, it. Exactly. It's, uh, it's an acknowledgement. An acknowledgement. Um. So, but my dark horse, if it's not Jar, if his injury stays the way it is. I think Jordan Poole is a great shout. And I can't lie, I want to steal it, but I'm not going to do it. I was probably going to go Edwards as well. Um, Just because Lamello Lamello will have, um, you know, his nights. But he still, you know, isn't entirely trusted by Borrego over there. But Edwards is, I'm telling you now, within 12 months, that Minnesota Timberwolves franchise, maybe 18, is Anthony Edwards' franchise. I'm telling you. So if he doesn't get MIP this year, he might be in with one for next year. And I know it's a bit boring to just pick two guys who are top draft picks, top two draft picks, whatever, but, but I think eighty or, or Morant could get it. Because the Timberwolves, I think I watched them against Indiana the other night. I've seen them a little bit, you know, over yeah. the season. This win over the Sixers was <laughs> big I think the Timberwolves are they're bubbling, they're building something nicely. All right, six man of the year is Hero, right?
0: Yeah, it's Hero. That's no man, that's no nothing. There. I think
1: my only dark horse would be Caruso if the Bulls do something crazy.
0: Yeah, but I think Harold just because of the fact he scores a lot more and would be. And I know you got a Laker dark offense. horse
1: though. I know. You yeah, got a but Laker. hey, my
0: Laker dark horse, Carmelo Anthony. But unfortunately, the Lakers are cheeks at this point in time. I'm not going to point fingers as to why they are cheeks, but Carmelo Anthony has been the sole shining light actually because I can't remember a game that he's played bad in a while, and off the bench he's been a consistent offense for us. So I can't actually hate on Carmelo. And everyone said a couple of years ago people had him out the league wrongfully as well. But my man is doing his thing and he's given us, what, 14 off the bench, shooting 43%, 42%, 42% from ah, 42% from three. Like, what more do we want? Like, he's doing his job. But yeah, I think as well, like you said, his former reputation in the league as a superstar and him now being just off the bench guy. I'm not sure exactly if that reward will end up going to him. So it'll be a weird one. But yeah, we'll see.
1: It's a weird one. It's it's like a little, little drop down in status. But hey, he's at that stage of his career, the guy's 36. Um, Right, last one. And this one is interesting. Is rookie of the year. Now, I'm going to narrow it for you. Okay. There are only seven candidates for this. I've gone and seven. looked at the numbers, and obviously they're the, they're the seven that we know anyway. There's only seven rookies who are really playing 30 minutes a game anyway. And yeah. I don't think it gets past two or three of these guys anyway. Um, Jalen Green over in Houston, terrible situation. So his numbers aren't looking great, but he's getting the minutes. Josh Giddy. The Aussie Lamello over in OKC. Yes. Um, he's uh, he's an interesting player, Josh Goody. I like him. I okay. like him, but okay. he's not really a scorer. He's, he's a nice little facilitator. He's, he's decent. Chris Duarte, um, older rookie. He, he had some eligibility issues because he's not from the States. So he stayed he stayed in college four years and, and took a while to get there. He's 24 years old. He's, he's killing it for the paces in terms of his scoring. Picked 13th. The Warriors were going to take him at 14th, but couldn't. That would have been scary. Um, Scotty Barnes over in Toronto yeah. Scotty Barnes has had an amazing year I liked him in college He, I saw him as a top 5 guy in college no problem but the offence is better than I thought it would be I've, he's found it easier to score in the NBA than I thought he would um, pick number 3 who I I'm going on my neck on the line he is the most special player in this draft class bar none whether he wins a rookie of the year I don't know but he is the most special talent here and that's Evan Mobley over in Cleveland and then number one pick Cade Cunningham who everyone would like to jump on because he struggled a little bit with his scoring when he was coming rushing in injured in in a Detroit team that weren't better Everyone's shut the fuck up after he got twenty six the other night, and he's getting boards and assists, and he's making he's he's playing winning basketball at twenty years old, Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and number one pick. He's he's finding his rhythm a little bit now. So out of those, favorite dark horse. Ah, you know what? Franz Wagner, Orlando. He's gonna get on. He no one is talking about him whatsoever. Good. He's going to be on everyone's radar by the end of this season. I wasn't 100% on him in college and I was totally wrong. Like He's taken to NBA basketball like a glove. He can do a bit of everything. He's he's solid. Really good player. Um, Orlando got a good one there. Who's your favourite? Who's your dark horse?
0: Um, my favourite, I'm just going to go is because of the fact he's number one pick and they clowned him for a bit before he came into the league. He was playing in the G League, of course. I'm going to go Cade. And only that's obviously contingent on the fact if his shooting improves because right now it is a woeful 36%. But yeah, I want to go Cade playing some winning basketball all round, rebounds, assists, can score. So Cade first because I think he's obviously the most well-rounded player currently of that draft class as well. And then my dark horse, I'm going to have to go Scotty Barnes.
1: Mm, yeah, 100. I think Scotty Barnes has surprised everyone to be fair. And I think he'd be favourites for some people to be honest.
0: Yeah. And don't get me wrong, this is even shout out to Jalen um Jalen Green as well. But unfortunately I don't think his game has really is at the maturity level of Scotty Barnes and one hundred. Um what's it called? Um Cade Cunningham at the moment. Like great scorer, but that's just it. And obviously of course in a terrible situation. So we'll see what happens, but yeah, I think they've all got a bright Cade, future Cade shooting really. is
1: a Kate
0: Yeah, Kate shooting is a problem.
1: It's, it's his is his basket. It's his attacking the basket. The athleticism's not there. Um, for him to really be like blowing by guys and stuff like that, but like uh, the three point percentage is is bullshit. Like there's games where he's hitting ten percent, fifteen percent. It's rubbish. If you watched his shot in college, like the guy can shoot the lights out from three. So I'm not worried about that one whatsoever. Um, I'm gonna go favorite. I'm gonna go. I I flip and flop with these two the whole time, and I've even said the opposite to you but i've just i've got to back my guy evan um i'm gonna go evan mobley favorite just because i think by the end of the year the catalogue of highlight plays that this guy is gonna have are gonna get the get the internet vote and then yeah, scotty barnes is my dark horse but i think a lot of that depends on toronto's record if toronto are just seen as some bad team way below cleveland then i think it would be a no-brainer to pick evan but i'm gonna go i'm gonna go um Gonna go Evan Favorite and then Scotty Darkos. but I think like you say, like the leading the league would like a Cade number one pick being the start. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with that one. Anyway, listen, that's what we've got time for. We are back. Is is tell a friend, tell a friend, tell a friend. Tell them to tell more friends, tell a cousin, tell an uncle, everything like that. We're back, courtside off for the new season. Um, keep it locked every episode will be dropping on Sundays from now with a little midweek sprinkling like this week thank you for locking in thank you for all your time we are glad to be back getting involved on the Twitter on the Instagram courtside fracas at both peace
0: peace <laughs> Network.